All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, I hope you're well today, and um, it is good to see everybody today. Um, we are uh, doing well, and we are uh, glad to be worshiping God together today. Uh, what we've been doing uh, over the past several weeks is we've been going through a series uh, uh, that was actually promoted and um, built by a man named Bill Hybels, uh, who's the pastor of uh, Willow Creek Church uh, here in the Chicago Barrington area, and uh, it's been good for the Lenten season because of the fact that it helps us to focus our heart in the way that Lent is meant to, okay? Uh, if you're unfamiliar with uh, Lent, um, again, the Lenten season is about uh, us really stopping and focusing our time, our energy, our effort, our thoughts on the not only the life, but the miracles, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And really taking a moment as a church, as a people, to once again build our lives around him, his eternal work, and all that he's done for us through his uh, time here on earth. And so uh, what we're doing as a part of Lent is we're uh, actually going through this series because it gives us the opportunity to press the reset button in our lives to press the reset button and actually say, how do we, in fact, build our lives around Jesus and his kingdom purposes, Jesus and all that he's done for us. And so uh, with that in mind, uh, the series has been called Just Walk Across the Room, if uh, you haven't been uh, able to join us up to this point. And it really is a summation of um, how we can utilize our lives to partner with Jesus in continuing to advance his purposes. And so that's what the series has been called. And um, as a recap, uh, if you haven't been with us, the first week we talked about uh, the greatest gift that we could really give anybody is the gift of Jesus and the salvation that he has for us. The second week we started to talk about 3D living where um, Cole talked about the three Ds of uh, really developing friendships, discovering stories, and discerning appropriate next steps when you're trying to reach out to people with the gospel of Christ. And then last week we talked about the power of words and story, the power of words and story, how really words are powerful and they shape our everyday interactions with people. But if we're going to be effective as Christians, we want to uh, actually become effective in not only telling God's story, um, but also uh, telling our own story, how he's changed and transformed our lives. And so uh, today, as we finish the uh, series, we're going to uh, finish with a message uh, that actually is <clears throat> um, near and dear to my heart because of the fact that it's all about the action that you take in light of these concepts, the action that you take in light of these concepts, and it's called Grander Vision Living grander vision living, grander vision living, and that's what we are um, hoping to get uh, through the Lenten season. So let's pray. Father, we thank you um, so much for your life. God, we thank you for sending your um, son, Jesus, to live the perfect life that we should have lived and to, on the cross, die the death that we should have died because of our sins. We thank you that because he was sinless, you raised him from the dead three days later and enabled him to pour out by your promise the Holy Spirit who would empower believers to take these walks across the room and to really be people who live with a grander vision in their lives than just the everyday rat race or the rigmarole that we have to go through. God, we're praying that you would help set our minds not on temporary things but on eternal things as we study your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, so here's, here's what we're going to do. Um, first of all, we're going to sort of get a picture in our mind. Um, we all know that it's been cold. We all know that we've been having to pop vitamin D pills. Uh, we all know that it has been um, a challenge to uh, press through the cold of winter, and we're all of a sudden um, getting on the precipice. And yes, I wear the colors to brighten up my own day, um, but we're getting to the point that spring is about to come around, right? Anybody excited about spring? Okay. And the thing about spring coming around is that it reminds us of new life, right? It, news, it reminds us of new life every single year. But one of the things that that we uh, find in our rotations of life is just that um, in our every year planning, we, we hope for, we aspire to vacation, right? You may um, vacation multiple times during the year, but at least once a year, you're hoping for a little segment in your uh, uh, schedule, right? Where you could go somewhere warm, where you could go somewhere pretty. And I'm telling you here at Second City, we love the Caribbean, okay? We love the Caribbean. Anybody love the Caribbean here? Yes, okay. Now I'm going to take you to the Bahamas just because Jason was leading worship today. And what we're going to do is we're going to the Bahamas. And if you can imagine for four minutes, um, just uh, on a vacation, everything's perfect. The, the, uh, the weather is perfect. You feel the cool ocean breeze rushing against your face. You all of a sudden are able to go out and step into the water. And it's not like Lake Michigan. You can actually see your feet in the water. And there, are, there aren't things floating by you as you look down. And the thing about it is, is that... As you go, you, you say, it's not enough for me to swim in this crystal clear lake. I want to actually snorkel. How many of you have been snorkeling before? Okay, if you've gone snorkeling before, you know that despite what you have on the top and on the surface of the water, if you're taken out on um, a boat or anything, you can actually relax and float on the, um, on the top of the ocean waters. But then beneath you, there's something different going on, right? You can be looking up at the sky and it can be clear and it can be blue and it can um, actually put you at ease and remind you that there's something beyond the Chicago weather for you anytime you want it because of Priceline.com and Expedia. And like, and it's like, you know, and then you look up in the water, but eventually you get enough strength in you that you want to turn over in the water, pop your mouthpiece in, and then when you pop your mouthpiece in, though you are looking up at clear, calm skies, when you go underneath, there's a whole world of activity underneath you. How many people have ever realized that before? You, you actually went up top and you saw it was all calm and all peaceful. But as soon as you turned over and looked underneath, you saw the world of, that, that, that you wanted to discover. You saw um, fish swimming by you, wondering if they were always there before. You're wondering, you felt some nibbles at your feet, but you didn't know what it was. Now you see it. You see even to the bottom of the ocean floor and you see that there's activity that you are unaware of. And what we see is that this is a fantastic, analogy to the life that God's bringing us into in terms of just walking across the room. It is not that God is not there all the time. It is not that God's not always active in people's lives, but it's when we actually turn over and begin to look actively at what he's trying to do in other people's lives and making us just walk across the room people that we're able to get out of our comfort zones as we talked about in the first week and get to what's called the better view of grander view living. And so if you would, turn with me in your Bibles today to Luke chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. Um, on the screen, it's going to be out of the message. So if you're, again, you're using your app, that's part of the benefit of it. You can switch to another version even as we read today. We're going to read how Jesus brought some of his own disciples out of just the 
calm and the ease of everyday life into the grander view, the activity, the life, the beauty that there was that's similar to the snorkeling view whenever we turn over and get involved in his purposes. So Luke chapter 5, it's Jesus calling his first disciples. And whenever he did um, did so, let's start with verse 1. We'll start with verse 1 on the screen. It said, once when he, meaning Jesus, was standing on the shore of Lake Gennesaret, the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. He noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets. So the fishermen had been spending their entire night out on the water trying to catch this haul of fish for their income. It was part of their economy. Uh, and now they were finished. But the fishermen had just left them and were scrubbing their nets, and Jesus climbed into the boat that was Simon's, who would otherwise be known as Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Sitting there, using the boat for a pulpit, he taught the crowd. When he finished teaching, he said to Simon, push out into deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Simon said, Master, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. But if you say so, I'll let out the nets. It was no sooner said than done. A huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity. They waved to their partners in the other boat to come help them. They filled both boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner and can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. When they pulled in that catch of fish, awe overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. It was the same with James and John, Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, there is nothing to fear. From now on, you'll be fishing for men and women. They pulled their boats up on the beach, left them, nets and all, and followed him. And so many of us are familiar with this story, but if you were like me, you are thinking to yourself, now, what did Jesus have to do with commanding them, these seasoned, trained fishermen, in how to do their job when he, by all accounts that we know of, was a carpenter's son, right? Whenever you see Jesus invade your life, a lot of times you hear him touching on or feel him touching on things that you almost up to that point were feeling that they were your domain, your expertise, your own desire to keep control of those areas of your life. But Jesus comes in by his commands, by his love, and he starts pitting his finger on things that you feel like sometimes he has no business touching. But the thing about Jesus is he's God of heaven and earth. He's the one who created it all. And then he says, listen, I'm the God of miracles who's able to touch and make better everything that I put my hand to. If you involve me in your situation, you involve me in your everyday life, I will take whatever you've been straining at, whatever you've been laboring at, whatever you've been trying to actually see succeed, but have actually hit walls of frustration. He says, I'll get involved with that and I'll do a miracle in those situations. 
situations to bring life out of what was previously barren or associated with death. We see that in this example with the miraculous catch of fish. And so Jesus gives them instruction and says, though you might have associated me with just being a carpenter or a stonemason, I'm telling you, put out your nets, and then all of a sudden they caught this, the mother load. That's almost like if you were working at your company for an entire year on a project trying to land a client or trying to get a, um, a project off the ground that would equate to the top and bottom line in your company's accounts. And then all of a sudden, it not only came in as you expected, but more than you expected, so much so that you needed to hire more people for help with your company. How many people know that that would be good news? That's the type of thing that Jesus does when he gets involved in people's lives. But he says it's not just about the everyday responsibilities that you have. I'm going to take you to some grander vision living. What we see in this example is that Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I can do this. I can be involved. And part of me being involved in your life is that I bless whatever I'm involved with, right? If you invite me into your life, I'm going to bless it. But I'm giving you a grander picture, a bigger picture of what life can ultimately be about by saying it's not just about these six-inch fish, but there's actually six-feet people. There are six-foot people that I want to actually have you catch with your skill, with your expertise, and give you grander vision living, saying the things I actually value, the things I care about, are not just the everyday rigmarole, but I care about eternal destinies in Jesus. I care about eternal lives being changed in me. And when he says, listen, I'm able to give you a miraculous haul of fish, but I want to give you the ability to fish, to catch men and women, I'm giving you my heart. Grander vision living. And so if you're taking notes today, we're going to understand how Jesus, in giving us grander vision living, does three things for us. He reminds us, number one, that in all of our life, the priority is absolutely people. The priority as Christians has to be people in our lives. It, meaning the, the precursor there is that in all of life, God is first, right? That's the assumed. That's why we worship. That's why we give him our first and our best in everything. That God himself is first. And matter of fact, when you get married one day, we always tell um, couples that are about to come together and form that blessed union, that even when you have kids one day, you tell them and you prioritize for them what's most important. You say, hey, listen, kids, I love you, but God's first. That's, they're like, okay, great. I understand that, yes, no one's greater than God. But how many people know some people are running their heads ragged and running wild trying to just build their lives around their children today? Okay? So much so that it becomes an imbalance and unhealthy. And then whenever you're getting married, you need to say, number two, guess who's second? And the kids might say, me. And you're like, no. <laughs> That's right, no. Guess who's second? Your spouse, your mom or your dad is second in my life. That's right. You can tell them that. And they'll believe you if you look at them like this. No, I'm just <laughs> You tell them. Because let me tell you, the thing that's going to provide security in their hearts and stability in their hearts is actually having a healthy marriage between the ones that are giving them live breath and feeding them on a daily basis. They need to see healthy marriage, right? They need to see that mom or dad are next in that priority list. But then... Number three is them, right? Number three is them before any career pursuit, before any, you know, routine that you might have. You're number three and then everybody else comes next. But the priority, if you see even in that order, is always going to be people. 
We have people working for Salesforce.com, and part of why Salesforce is doing so well is because they're prioritizing in all industry, not just profits, but trust in what? People. Anybody know what Salesforce.com is? Okay, anyway, it's a company that's helping other companies to understand how they can best serve their clients in the business world and in industry. And the thing is, when you prioritize people, you're having God's heart. If you obey the commandments of God, ultimately they're summarized in just two, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So everything that God commands has to do with relationship. Everything that God had, um, commands has to do with how we relate to him and because of how we relate to him, how we relate to the people around us. The priority has got to be people. But then the second point is going to be that we understand that the focus when we're reaching out to people is not perfection, but potential. The focus is potential. And then finally, if we're going to be just walk across the room, people, we cannot be those who are paralyzed because we feel like we have to get it all done at once. But we just have got to start and start small. Just start with something and start small. Just get moving because it's a lot easier to move a steering ship than one in dock. Amen? Okay, so let's look through this. When we're thinking about first... The idea that priority, the priority of God is people, we've got to adopt in our heart the idea of the big fish invitation. The big fish invitation. Will we live our lives for the big fish? How many of you have gotten to the point in your career? Many of you are just starting your career. Many of you are halfway through it. Many of you are on the tail end of it. But how many of you actually have gotten to the point where you're at life, at least like life is more than a paycheck? Has anybody gotten there yet? Life is more than a paycheck. And a lot of times you don't get to that point until you finish paying off your student loans. <laughs> okay, right? Because up to that point, it becomes a necessity, right? Come on now. That's the truth. But ultimately, you get to the point where life is more than a paycheck. And if I'm going to be satisfied in life, if there's going to be a joy in my life, it's not about just increasing my bank account. It is not just about increasing the toys that I get to play with. In fact, it's not just about the next excursion that I could take. Even though we just took you to the Bahamas, I'm telling you, it's not just about that excursion. How many people can say amen to that? Eventually, grander vision living comes about how can I not just get another dollar, but how can I change another destiny? How can I ultimately change another destiny in Christ? And if you're going to prioritize people, you've got to have the same mentality. Let's go back to Matthew, um, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5, 16, 5, 16 that Jesus had. Whenever Jesus was speaking, let's put that up on the um, screen, um, Matthew 5, 16. He said this, that you are the light of the world and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Remember, we talked about this year, um, several weeks ago, but he also said, let your light shine before others in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's a paraphrase. But he says, if I'm commanding you to live like me, to imitate me, to have grander um, vision living, then what you've got to do is understand who I'm making you to be. We talked about you being salt of the earth, but you're also the light of the world. But he's saying, let your light shine before others in such a way. In such a way that it does what? Meaning, live your life in such a way that you're not being consumed by the smaller issues of life. That you're not just living for a paycheck. 
that you're not just living for the next vacation, that you're not just living for the next excursion that you could take, but instead live in such a way that what is the greatest reward? That I'm affecting a destiny, that I'm affecting somebody's eternity with the way that I live. If you remember the video a couple weeks ago, um, Bill Hybels was talking about not feeling like you have to do everything, but the small things that you could do in your everyday life. The kindness that you can have with a coworker, the type of service that you can have with a neighbor, the way that you can give to somebody who's in need, right? These are the small ways that you're living in such a way that your life doesn't just give you a paycheck. It doesn't just bring glory to you. It doesn't just fill you with the next pleasure, but instead your life is in fact an arrow pointing people to glorify your father in heaven. You can only do that if your priority is people. Because when you get up each and every day, you have responsibilities immediately coming at you, right? How many people already have a list for Monday morning? How many people have got to go home even after this and start getting to um, um, to work? Okay, here's the thing. Everybody's got that. And the only way that you're going to prioritize people is by understanding that your life is meant to be lived in such a way that appoints people toward God. The question is, at this point, what do people see when they see you? What do people get whenever they interact with you? What do they get? Do they get frustration? Do they get sarcasm? Do they get another pundit that's just talking about how life is bad and how everything's going to pot in hell and, you know, this is, well, you know, this is, you know, people and they suck. You know, like, what do they get when they interact with you? Are people's eyes lifted toward heaven? Are people's eyes lifted toward a hope by which they can say, there's a God who loves me, there's a God who cares about my situation, and in fact, I know it because I can see signs of it in you. And even though I don't know this good news story fully yet, I know that there's something better than what I'm experiencing right now because of the way that you're living. Your light shining, piercing and penetrating the darkness, helping me see that there's something else besides this. Prioritizing people means that I'm living my life in such a way that I want to engage them. I want to build relationship with them. I want to, if I'm in an Uber I don't want to just get where I'm going. I want to know the person driving me, and I want to know why they're playing the music that they're playing. Anybody ever wonder that? It's sort of like, well, that's an interesting selection. <laughs> tell, you know, tell me why. And that's a great conversation starter, right? Tell me who you are. It's prioritizing people so that you can be a just walk across the room person. And it's understanding that it everything in God is a process. Everything in God is a process. How many people, it took a little while before you finally submitted your life to Jesus, whenever he was working in your heart and life? Okay, most of you had these like immediate, like he met you on the Damascus road and you were like, okay, who are you, Lord? Okay, well, that's good. Okay, but for the rest of us, right? I had people preaching to me for years before I actually responded to him. How many people were like me? 
Had people reaching out to you for years, prioritizing. Rollin, we're going to get them. <laughs> and I was like, Who are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, don't worry about it. We're going to get you. You know, I was like, they, they were praying for me. They were reaching out. They were doing the small things, showing me kindness, so that as a priority, I could see the heart of God and eventually turn to him. Let's look at a video real quick to actually encourage us about the process that it takes as we prioritize people in the ways of God. There's Bill Hybels again, who's the author of the series we're doing. A grander vision living, that's right. I've been trying to point people to faith for pretty much my whole adult life. And when someone says the door is closed and I'm never going to open it, I never take never as an answer. I, I go, never just means no for now. And people quite often are just one devastation away, one business reversal away, one relational disaster away from having their apple cart so upset that they would consider God afresh. And what I dream of for Christ followers everywhere is that they go to work, they go in the neighborhood, they go to school, they go to the club, wherever they go, that instead of being annoyed by people or put off by people who believe differently and have different lifestyles, just imagine, imagine what their life would be like if God were at the center and let that inspire you to pray toward that end. Oh, I like that. I like that. That a no is just not now. <laughs> Anybody like that attitude? A no is just not now. A no is just not for now, but I'm thinking about it. A no is just, you know what, I'll consider it, but I'm not there yet. How many people have ever heard that before? I'm not there yet. That's what I used to say all the time when people were talking to me. Listen, I hear you, what it sounds like is good, but I'm not there yet, okay? Come back later. They're like, tomorrow? I'm like, no, man, give me some time, okay? But it's like, I'm not there yet was okay, right? I'm not there yet was okay, because it's a process. And grander vision living, prioritizing people, helps us to understand this. The focus, point number two, is to potential. When you understand that people have potential, regardless of where they find themselves now, it doesn't matter what condition they find themselves in, in the moment. In the moment, how many of you can imagine the person that you think is furthest from God right now in your workplace? They have a reputation. You know what I'm talking about. How many people can think even on the grander level of society, somebody that might look far from God? They might appear in like periodicals or newspapers often. You know, they might actually, you know how Apple, like you have the news and they're always in it. How many people can think of somebody like that, right? And you think, well, probably not them ever, okay? But God's perspective is so much different, right? Because he's always thinking about potential. The priority is people, but the focus of God is always on potential. Let's go back to Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Not only did Jesus call the first disciples who were fishermen to himself, but he also called a guy named Levi, otherwise known as Matthew, the tax collector. He called Matthew the tax collector. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, it's on the slide, we'll see this.
He said, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, same thing he said to the fisherman, follow me. He said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Now, the context for this is important because if you know the tax collectors of Jesus' day, they were not the religious people. They were not the people who actually had it all together. They were not welcomed or cherished by the Jewish society. In fact, they were deemed as traitors. They were deemed as traitors who were sympathizers with the Roman um, oppressors, and they were taking advantage of their fellow Jews and actually exploiting them, taking from them not only what they owed, but more than what they owed whenever they had to pay their taxes. That means is yes, before TurboTax came around and you had to do your own taxes, there are people called the IRS who still came looking for their cut of your paycheck. And these people in the time of Jesus came and took even more than what was owed them and even more than what was due. And what we see is that Jesus went exactly to this person and he says, I know you're unscrupulous. I know that you're deceitful. I know that you're hated in the community right now, but I'm telling you, I'm looking at your potential. And the potential that I see is that you could be a world changer in me as you choose to love me and follow me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so what Jesus did is he looked at him with potential and he saw not the unrighteousness that he was presently living in, but he actually saw who he could be as he changed his life. The question is, what did you, what were you, or what did people see you as before you came to Jesus? Did anybody have a reputation before you came to Jesus? as you were going through your own story, I had a reputation. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about the fact that the reputation was good. I had a reputation for not so good things. People knew me for not so good things. And the thing is, is that God looked beyond that and he said, I'm choosing you anyway because I'm looking at the potential. I'm the God who calls things that are not as if they were. And what I do is I make new creations out of those that are far gone from me. And even if you find yourself today not knowing God, the good news is for you that he can make you new. It doesn't matter how far gone you are. He's looking at the potential of not your ability but his. And he'll make you a new creation if you choose to repent and believe the good news. Repent, meaning change your mind. Go in a different direction. Submit to his ways. And he says, by my power, I'll make you new. It's the power of potential, but how do we treat people on a daily basis? Do we treat them as they are? Or do we treat them as God can make them to be? Do we treat them with the annoyance or the frustration that they're offering us in the moment? Or do we treat them as an opportunity for God to express grace, just like he's expressed to us? How many people can identify, even in your own mind or heart right now, somebody who frustrates you to the hilt? Just to the hilt. You don't have to name them. You don't have to, like, you know, like write something down about them nasty right now. I'm telling you, you just cannot, you can imagine them, right? Let me tell you, if you have that type of visceral reaction, that's a, that means they're a good target. <laughs> they're a good target for the grace of God. Why? Because Paul was that type of person, right? He was that type of person who God himself said, I'm looking at not who they are now, but the potential of who I could make them to be if I get a hold of their lives. The opportunity is this, that we need to approach people with the same radical inclusiveness, the same eye for potential, 
and the same faith that God had when he approached us. And the question is, do we do that now? Because if we do, we'll be living like Matthew whenever he was commanded by Jesus to follow him. Whenever he was commanded by Jesus to follow him, he immediately, immediately did something. He said, listen, I don't want to just be brought out of my old life of being a hated tax collector into a new life of being part of the people of God and all of a sudden create for myself a world of comfort where I'm disassociated from all the people who are like me who I used to know and who used to do the same things that I do or still are presently doing them. But I want to actually wrap my mind around being immediately thrust into the purposes of God. What did Matthew do? Let's go back to Luke chapter 5, please. It said in verse 29, And Levi, meaning Matthew, made him, meaning Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors, meaning the people who were in the same position that he had previously been, found themselves in, and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Meaning that the immediate thing that Matthew found to do or that Levi found to do, prioritizing people as God prioritized people, and then on number two, seeing the potential in those who surrounded him, just like God saw potential in him, is you know what he did? He threw a party! He threw a party! Now this is good news for anybody who's found themselves feeling like overwhelmed by spirituality, saying like, I can't do spiritual things. I feel like I'm not going to be effective at spiritual things. Guess what? You can throw a party. How many people like partying? Okay, come on now. Listen, if you like, listen, stop being so holy. Listen, we're, God knows we like to party, right? I said, yes. I see you in worship trying to get your two-step on. Let it out. Okay? Because you know when you're going home anyway, you're doing it. Got your eye on Listen, God said the first thing that I want you to do, Matthew, is throw a party. Start small, but do something. And throw a party in such a way that you can have the people who know me and the people who don't interacting with one another intentionally. How many people of you, how many people in here have Christian friends? Well, I hope so. You're at church. I mean, you're sitting next to somebody. Okay. So, I don't know anybody. Oh, listen. Okay, you have Christian friends, right? How many people have people who are not yet Christian friends? Yes. Right? Because you live in the world. And how many people know that those people can actually interact? Not just with you, but maybe with your Christian friends. That just like you like your Christian friends or just a little bit, they may like them too. And if you put them in the same room together, something good and redemptive might happen. 
that they might start talking about you and say, why is this person different? I used to know them as partying one way. They're partying another now. What happened? And then your other friend could step in and say, well, you know, it's funny you ask. <laughs> you, you see how that works? It's Red Rover, Red Rover, baby. You remember playing that? You remember playing that, right? Back on the schoolyard? You could not win that game alone. In the same way, you're not meant to win the kingdom of captivity alone. You're meant to do it together. And just as he said, hey, listen, Red Rover, Red Rover, said, send me right over. And you build those nets and you tighten them by relating well with your brothers and sisters properly. But then they come running over unexpectedly say, yeah, we're partying. And then all of a sudden, boom, they get caught by the grace of God. <laughs> boom. And then all of a sudden... They turn around and they join themselves on that chain saying, Red Rover, Red Rover. Send Sally right over. And Sally's like, oh, I heard there was a party tonight. And you're like, that's right. Christmas party, keep it coming. And then all of a sudden people are responding to the grace of God just as you did. You start small, but you do something. You do something. You do what you ordinarily do or what you wanted to do anyway. You just do it with the people of God and relate them with the other people who don't yet know God. It's intentional, right? That's part of how I came to faith myself. The people on the college campus, they kept feeding me. That's what happened. <laughs> that was just good news. It's like they were like, listen, Raleigh, you want to come to Bible study? I was like, no. They are like, there'll be food. I was like, all right. <laughs> And I came. And then eventually God got a hold of me. Why? Because I was interacting with the people who were living their lives in such a way that I could thank God for their kindness and glorify him who's in heaven. They started small, just like Matthew, but they started with something. It's understanding that everything else that we do in our life, we're not taking with us to heaven when we die. Right? Anybody remember that old saying? He who dies with the most toys still dies. Remember that? There was a man who was actually going around in a conference and he was speaking about the idea of temporary versus eternal things. And he had a roll of stickers. Imagine this, if you will. Don't go to the Bahamas again. Imagine this roll of stickers, okay? And he was going around with the roll of stickers and he added um, red dots on the sticker roll. And he would go around and he actually put a red sticker on like a picture or like small model car and he put that sticker on it. Then he went to a dollhouse. It was an oversized dollhouse and he actually put a red sticker on that. Then he went the next to a big desk, an oversized, beautiful desk that represented people's careers and their pursuits. He put a red sticker on that. And he said, you know what? Everything that you see in front of you, he just kept going around the room, putting red stickers, red stickers, red stickers on it. It's not that they're not important, but there are, let's put up this slide, they're what's called temporary. They're what's called temporary. That car, it's eventually going to break down, temporary. That house, it will need to be fixed, temporary. That career, it can change. Temporary, right? All the things that we acquire, all the clothes on our back, temporary. Temporary, 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 temporary. All of these things following us, temporary. And then he took out one blue sticker and he put it on the person in front of him. And he said, boom, eternal. Eternal. This soul is eternal. And the only thing that you can take with you are not these temporary things, but the eternal soul's that you have. That's right. Temporary, 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 temporary. The list just keeps going and the pictures keep coming. Okay. 
But a good place to start is understanding that by just throwing a party, we can make a shift to prioritizing people, to understanding their potential, and actually just getting started by placing a priority, not on temporary things, but on eternal things. So here's how we're going to end, okay? Activity time again. Last week, we asked you to, make your, uh, to write down your own testimony, your own story. But now we're going to ask you to do something different. Every one of you, in the next 30 days, that means a month, the next 30 days, talk with one another or do it yourself. I don't care, but just make sure that you are throwing a party. How many people would like to do something like that? That everybody, you can throw a party. That's right, you are good, I know you. I know a lot of you. And the thing is, I know that a lot of you are good at partying. So throw a party, do it well, and actually do it the way that Matthew did. Actually do it in such a way that you could begin introducing those who don't know God to those who do know God and see what God himself will do intentionally through a party. Through a party. Now, one little caveat I'll give you, please make sure that the ratios are good. <laughs> you understand what I mean by that? Don't have like 10 of your Christian friends and then like your one un, like, unbelieving, like unbelieving co-worker, they walk into the room, they're like, this is all strange. <laughs> well, why does everybody have kumbaya on their shirts? <laughs> I didn't get the memo, <laughs> you know? Because if that happens, guess who will not be coming back? <laughs> That coworker, they will avoid you like the plague at work. But if you underweight the Christians, overweight those who do not yet know God, and party with them, but keep it holy. You hear what I'm saying? Keep it holy. Just keep that drink all night long, okay? Let it, let it ride. You, you hear what I'm saying? No, come on now. You hear what I'm saying? Let it ride. Don't. <laughs> I'll throw the party at church. No. Be holy. <laughs> See what God will do. See what God will do. Because in this situation, he changed people's eternal destinies. And if we as a people of God can just learn to be, just walk across the room people, then he'll do the same with the people of Second City Church. Practical, simple, it's the Bible. Amen? All right, worship team, come on up.